0: All right. Good morning. How is everybody? I think that's the toughest looking dove I've ever seen. Um, I've been thinking that the last week or two. (laughs) Uh, Well, good morning. My name is Harley Rathel. I am the uh, campus pastor here. I'm going to move this cable so I don't trip on it in the middle of speaking this morning. But glad to be here with you. We're about to dive into God's Word together this morning. But before we do that, I just wanted to welcome you here again, and especially wanted to just make mention, if you're new or new-ish, to let you know that today we have a thing called starting point. Starting point is where we pull back the curtain and say, okay, here's who we are as a church, a little bit of our vision, values, history, future, all of that sort of thing. And so if you'd like to come along to that, that's right after the service here at Evo. We have lunch, we have childcare, you are welcome to just show up. To that. We would love to have you there. It'll run from about 11.15 right through till about 12.30. So if you want to be a part of that, just come along. We'd love to have you there. You'd be more than welcome. And as I say that, I also just want to mention something. I love looking across this room and seeing a bunch of faces, some familiar, some new, some uh, that I've never met. Uh, but what I'd love to do is we continue to see this church come together and to, Lord willing, grow We are creating the culture of this church as we go, and I'd love for us to be a church of welcome. And so any of you, whether you're new or whether you've been here a long time, just a quick reminder, something that I said months and months ago, but I feel like I need to say again is, I want for all of you to see yourselves as being on the welcome team of this church. If you see somebody you don't know, don't feel bad about introducing yourself. If you see somebody walking in and they're trying to find a seat, just if you don't mind helping them and saying, hey, yeah, we've got room down here and scooting in, like those sort of things are the things that I want for us to be known as a church. I don't want somebody to be able to walk in, just sit here and then walk back out without feeling engaged and loved and not just loved by us, but loved by God in that process, right? That's the hope. That's the prayer. So would you just think about that as you come and as you gather? It's not just about coming and consuming. It's coming to contribute and to be a part of God's love in this community. All right. That was the unprepared sermon. Um, Let's pray and let's uh, open God's word together. Would you do that with me? I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes so that we can focus our thoughts on God. God, we do want to focus our thoughts on you. In the midst of busyness, and we say this often, but it's true, distraction as well. God, our prayer is that you would speak today, that you would speak through your word, that you would speak by your Holy Spirit, and that you'd even speak through me. Guide my mind and my tongue, guide us all as we look at your word together. We thank you that you're here amongst us. Amen. Being misunderstood can be frustrating or even dangerous. It's just an unpleasant experience to be misunderstood. And I want to ask you a question, and that is to say, have you ever thought about the, th- the fact that God, and I don't know what you think about God, but that God is often misunderstood. If I were to ask you for some examples of being misunderstood, I think you could probably quickly share some of those because we all have them. We all have moments. And as an Australian living in a foreign country, I have plenty of those. I can think of story after story where I have been misunderstood. You know, Even just getting or trying to get a cup of water can be a frustrating and misunderstood type experience. I remember one time in particular, I was uh, on my way to a soccer game in San Antonio with a friend of mine who was visiting from Scotland. And this friend had a thick Scottish accent. I had my Australian accent. And the two of us were in San Antonio, and we decided to stop at a Chick-fil-A to get a meal before the game. And as we went in there, it was kind of like a bad joke was being set up, right? Like, we went in, we, uh, we went, and my friend Colin is there from Scotland, and he's ordering the food. And he's ordering his food, and at the end of that, everything's going okay. He says, and can I have a cup of water, please? And the guy behind the counter just looked at him like he'd, like, just spoken total gibberish. Like, you could see the look of complete confusion on his face. And so I'm just kind of smiling, watching. And, uh, and so my friend tries again. You know, he's like, can I have a cup of water? And this guy looks at him again like, I have no idea what you're saying. So Colin turns to me, at which point I just throw up my hands and laugh because I'm like, I don't think I'm going to do any better here. Like, we're, we're, we're two foreigners in this in this place. And that's funny. Like, being misunderstood can be funny, but it can be frustrating And really, like I said earlier, it can even be dangerous. Like, think about this if you're misunderstood at a four way stop, that can be dangerous. Or, what if the air traffic controller is misunderstood? Like, that's dangerous. And I bring up all this stuff about misunderstanding because we're here in the second week of a six-week series where we're talking about something, or rather, someone who is often misunderstood, and that is the Holy Spirit. Last week, as we started this series, we talked; uh, Chuck talked to us about the mysterious truth of who the Holy Spirit is—that He is God, fully God, and that God is mysteriously, three in one, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of mystery that surrounds that. But what we find is that when we start talking about the Holy Spirit in particular, we're somewhat comfortable with the concept that God may be Father or that He may be the Son, Jesus. But when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, people don't really want to go there because the Holy Spirit seems strange or maybe even spooky, If you're familiar with the song from the movie Encanto that says, we don't talk about Bruno, it feels a little bit like that with the Holy Spirit. That's a song where they're singing about this uncle that nobody talks away. He's locked away. Nobody talks about him. And I think that actually transposes to often how we feel about the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit because... We don't know how to deal with that. And all of that happens because of a misunderstanding of who who the Holy Spirit is. Others see the Holy Spirit as some sort of mystical force that can give them their next spiritual high. Their quest is for the next emotional experience where they can find and get the right formula to experience the Holy Spirit and what He does. And don't get me wrong, the Holy Spirit can actually absolutely stir our heart and our emotions. But if we start to look for emotions and experience, we can desire the emotions and the experience more than the giver, the God of those emotions and experience. And again, that happens because of a misunderstanding of who the Holy Spirit is. There's a man who studied Christianity and, and theology his whole life, And he said this statement, and I'm going to borrow it. The average Christian, deep down, is in a complete fog as to the work, what work the Holy Spirit does. What he's stating is what we've been saying here, and that is that the Holy Spirit is misunderstood. But that doesn't need to be the case. Equipped with God's word. And equipped with his Holy Spirit illuminating this word, a Christian can drill down into some concrete truths and and cling to those and know what they believe about the Holy Spirit. In this lifetime, you may be thinking, okay, in this lifetime, will I ever completely know and understand who the Holy Spirit is? And the answer is no, but we can clear up some misconceptions and misunderstandings. And as we do that, we can open ourselves up in a good and right way to the Holy Spirit, to His work and to His power. And I use those two words, work and power, because the Holy Spirit is powerful and He does a significant work in us personally and in His church. That work is so good and so helpful, Jesus himself made a pretty extreme claim about the Holy Spirit. And so to start us off today in God's word, I want to take you to this claim that's found in John chapter 16. And so I'm going to invite you, if you have a Bible to turn there, we'll have the words on the screen as well. But John chapter 16 is where I'm turning to. And as you turn there, I'm going to give you a little bit of context for this passage. Here in John chapter 16, Jesus is in the middle of a long dialogue where he is speaking and pouring out his heart to his followers, his closest followers, his disciples. It's the Last Supper and it's the Last Supper because Jesus, a few hours later, is about to go to the cross. And what we have recorded here is beautiful. It's Jesus just pouring out his heart to these disciples and what we read is part of this. We're going to read verse 5 through to verse 8 of chapter 16 of the book of John. And it says this, But now I, Jesus, am going to him who sent me. That's God the Father. And he goes on, And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. As we read this portion of what Jesus is saying, he starts in this section by acknowledging the sadness of this moment. I want you to just think with me what these disciples are feeling. These disciples have spent the last few years right there with Jesus. And Jesus isn't just some nice prophet or good guy. No, this is God in human form. Right there. They can tap him on the shoulder. They can ask him a question. And so when he says to them, hey, I'm going, they're sad because that experience is about to change. They're not going to have Jesus right there with them anymore. And they're probably confused too, because they're like, hey, aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you God's son? Aren't you here to redeem us from the Roman Empire and make this big political move? They don't understand Jesus' greater purpose than that. And Jesus goes on as he's talking to them, and he makes a claim. And remember, this is God's son. He cannot lie. And what he claims is, in verse 7, that it is to their advantage... That he goes away. As we read this, we should feel like they probably did, where we're like, wait, what? Advantage? Like, wouldn't it be nice to have God incarnate right there where you can tap him on the shoulder? And he goes on and says after that, for if I do not go away, the helper, capitalized H, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Why, in Jesus' mind, is it better that he leaves? The answer is right there in that sentence, so that he can send the helper, capitalized H, helper. By the way, the Bible in English struggles to translate that word because it means a lot. We talked about this a little last week. It also means advocate or counselor. It means comforter, intercessor, one who encourages. All of that is bundled into this word. And just for the sake of overstating it, this name, Helper, is one and the same as the Holy Spirit. He's speaking specifically about the Holy Spirit who is going to come. That is clarified in another part of John here. So, as you read on, what happens is Jesus continues to clarify what this Holy Spirit does. Yes, He is the Comforter, He is the Helper, He is the Advocate, all of that. But he goes on and tells us, among other things, that he will what? Convict, this is verse 8, the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. As we continue to follow the story of what happens in the days ahead, we're going to see that this actually happens and takes place. If you fast forward a few hours from this moment, what happens next in the story? We know that Jesus is arrested, he is wrongfully accused, he is beaten. And he's ultimately hung on a Roman instrument of torture called a cross and crucified, murdered, and dies. As all of that takes place, what we need to know and to believe that these are not random, horrible acts of fate. Actually, these are all a part of God's perfect, eternal plan. That cross was a part of God's plan because he knows that as Jesus goes there and as his blood is shed for us, it is for us that that blood is shed for the sins of all who will look to Jesus and to believe in him. He dies the death that we, humanity, deserve. And because of this, because of his power and his perfection, God raises Jesus back to life. And in this, he fulfills his mission. He defeats sin, he defeats death, and he makes a way for mankind to be made right with God. That was his mission. And so after his resurrection, but before Jesus ascends back into the presence of God, having fulfilled his mission, mission, Jesus appears a few times to his disciples. And we have different accounts of that. One of those we find actually in Acts chapter 1, which I'm going to turn to now. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is there speaking with his followers one more time. He's about to ascend back into the presence of God the Father, to leave earth behind. But as he's doing that, what does he bring up again? The Holy Spirit. Read with me what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you, my followers, is who he's speaking to. Will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is leaving and he's explaining that he's leaving, but his spirit is coming. And hey, guys, this is a good thing and it's good because you're going to receive what? Power. Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to get power, yes, as individuals, but also as a collective group and form this thing called the church. In the very next verse, in verse 9, it tells us that Jesus is lifted up into heaven. He, he ascends and is gone from their sight. And the disciples are kind of there looking and wondering what they should do. So they head back into Jerusalem to wait and to pray. And as they wait and as they pray, We can follow on with what happens next in the story. Now, if we zoom back out and look at the timeline, what we know is that Jesus was killed at a Jewish festival called the Passover. And 50 days after the Passover, there's another festival that's held and it's called Pentecost, but it's also known as the Feast of Weeks. And if you look up what this feast is, we're told it is a celebration honoring the Lord as provider of all crops and as the one who deserved the first fruits of those crops. This is a harvest festival where they celebrate fruitfulness and God's provision. So traditionally at this time, that's what they're focusing on, fruitfulness and the harvest. And God chooses this moment to link the harvest feast with a spiritual harvest that's about to happen. And in fact, is continuing even to this day. Read on with me what it says in Acts chapter 2 verse 1. It tells us about the Holy Spirit finally showing up. All this anticipation is built through John and then into Acts. And it tells us here in verse 1, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. God's Spirit is sometimes pictured as a dove or sometimes pictured as water being poured out. But here in this text in particular, we have the image of wind and of fire. This wind and this fire is about to spread like Jesus foretold it would. This is the pouring out of God's spirit that's been prophesied for hundreds of years, but it's a new thing that God is doing because Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension has led to the release of the Holy Spirit in a new way. Now, if you have a church or some sort of theological background, you may be like, okay, hold on for a second. God is unchanging, And you're talking about the Holy Spirit engaging mankind in a new way. Is that possible if God is unchanging? Well, yes, God is unchanging. The Bible teaches that. He is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. And yet, what we can know and believe is that, yes, God is unchanging, but how he engages with us, mankind, has changed throughout history. Jesus is an example of that, right? If you read John chapter 1, it says that Jesus was present at creation as the Word. But then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And much too in the same way as as Jesus has changed in the ways that he interacts with us, the Holy Spirit has changed. Now let me just describe this for you. If you read the Old Testament of the Bible before Jesus shows up, what you discover is that the Holy Spirit is there. But what the Holy Spirit does is that he empowers and inspires certain individuals for certain moments. There's moments where the Holy Spirit comes, but it isn't permanent. He comes on somebody like Samson and uses Samson in a mighty way. He comes on somebody like David and inspires David to write a beautiful psalm. These are moments how the Holy Spirit engages, but after the death resurrection and ascension of Jesus into the presence of God the Father, he sends the Holy Spirit in a new way so that the Holy Spirit now comes and indwells and seals every true believer in Jesus. If you are a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. We're going to talk about this in the coming weeks. But your heart, your heart is like a temple home to Jesus. You're like, that sounds like interesting. It does, but it's awesome. The power of God is inside of us. As you read through the book of Acts, you see that this pouring out of the Holy Spirit has a progression to it. If you read verse, Acts verse, chapter one, verse eight, like we did earlier, Jesus predicted what? He said, you will receive power. You will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea that's local Israel, in Samaria, that's further afield, and then to the ends of the earth. If you read through the book of Acts, what you start to discover is this pouring out of the Holy Spirit follows that exact pattern. In Israel, there is this pouring out of God's Spirit that we read about here in Acts chapter 2. And if you read on the story, which, by the way, is awesome read. If you read on in the story, you find out that Peter stands up because there's this commotion, is this holy, this wind and this fire and these tongues. People are hearing God's praises in all their local languages. As that happens, people rush to see what's going on. And Peter stands up and boldly proclaims, because he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, the truth about Jesus, and the church goes from being about 120 people to being 3,000. Just in that moment, as the Holy Spirit is poured out, if you fast forward to Acts chapter 8, you find that in Samaria, just as Jesus predicted, there are some of the followers of Jesus and this pouring out of the Holy Spirit. If you go into Acts chapter 10, again, you find that there is this group of Gentiles, a guy named Cornelius and his friends, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. And it reminds us that Jesus predicted this is exactly how it would happen. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. We see that progression through the book of Acts. One thing that's interesting to note is that Peter is present on all three of those occasions. Shouldn't surprise us. Peter isn't perfect. We know that if we read his story. But Jesus did say, hey, upon you, I'm going to use you to help build my church. If you follow church history, what you discover is that this obscure faith believed in by these poor, uneducated people becomes the dominant religion in less than 300 years in the Roman Empire. How does that happen? We should ask that question. How does it go from obscurity to being the dominant religion? It's not their programming. It's not their budgeting. It's not any of that stuff. I think the only plausible answer is because of the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not some weak accessory that a Christian sometimes grasps, grasps and uses. I think we can be tricked into thinking that because we hear the term helper and it doesn't really have positive ideas in our minds. We're like a helper, you know. Is that somebody who helps a lady across a street or opens a door for someone? Like that's, that's kind of the connotations we have in our mind. We need to lose that. Because the Holy Spirit is powerful in what He does. The entire Christian faith and message is dependent on the Holy Spirit. So don't be fooled into thinking that the Holy Spirit has assisted the church or Christians throughout history. Rather, the Holy Spirit has chosen to use us in His mission. I want you to listen to a quote that really made me think about how essential the Holy Spirit is. This is one of those those quotes that I read and I was like, I had to think on for a moment. J.I. Packer says this, Many Christians have really no idea what difference it would make if there were no Holy Spirit in the world. Were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit, there would be no gospel, no faith, no church, and no Christianity in the world at all. As I think on that, I don't think he's overstating thing. Our faith today is 100% dependent on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has empowered believers, empowered the church, and transformed history. And his transforming work continues today. From this initial pouring out of God's Spirit in the book of Acts, Every believer has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And like I said, we're going to talk about that more, but I can't help but talk about this a little bit. If you go to Romans chapter 8, it talks about it right there. Verse 9 says this You, speaking to Christians, however, have not a spirit, sorry, have not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Usually, I will wait till the end of the message to say, hey, if you're maybe exploring faith, would you like to believe? But right here, right now at this moment, I feel like this is the appropriate time to say, does God's spirit dwell inside of you? If you can't answer that with some level of clarity and certainty, I'd like to encourage you to think about God, His grace, Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, and the fact that you can be made right with God. I'm not going to assume that everybody in this room believes that there is a God who loves them, a God who can forgive them from anything that they've done wrong, and wash them clean by the blood that was shed by Jesus that we talked about earlier. That is available to all of you today. And when you say, God, I'm yours, I surrender. In that moment, the Holy Spirit comes and makes your heart his home. My hope is that our minds are clearer and becoming clearer on who the Holy Spirit is, how he came, what he does, all of those sort of things. And in the coming weeks, I hope that that progression would continue That misunderstandings of the Holy Spirit would be like a fog. We had a fog this morning, right? Like a fog that is swept away by the winds of truth. Misunderstandings can go by typically two means. One is to elevate that which is true. To say, hey guys, don't be misunderstanding because this is what is true. You draw a circle around what is true. But another way that you can get rid of misunderstanding is to highlight and put a spotlight on the things that are false. And so I want to take a moment with you to circle back on two main misconceptions that have existed historically and even currently in the church that I mentioned earlier. Views about the Holy Spirit that are not helpful or good. The first one is this. The misconception to see that the Holy Spirit is messy. Something that you just don't want to deal with. This can often happen because the Holy Spirit is perceived as silly or spooky or just plain weird. We don't know what to do with him. And this isn't a new problem. In fact, if you read on where we were in Acts chapter 2, verse 13. As all of this commotion's going forth, some people are like, What's God up to? Something's going on. And some people in verse 13 say, mocking, say they are filled with new wine. Those guys are drunk. This Holy Spirit stuff, no. They're just drunk. The Holy Spirit can be associated with things that are often supernatural, beyond the natural And we don't know how to categorize neatly these things. We're like, oh, that doesn't fit neatly into my theological box. I don't know what to do with that. And so because of this, people either scoff and laugh at it and say, well, that's just silly. Or they push away from it because they don't want to be associated with things that are messy and strange. In certain denominations and and realms of the church, we treat the Holy Spirit like the forgotten God. That is the name of a book by a preacher and author that aptly describes the Holy Spirit. At its core, this rejection often focuses on the thought that if you're open to the Holy Spirit, you're doing so at the expense of good theology. Somebody may not ever say this out loud, but the thought in their heart is, we don't need to pursue the Holy Spirit because we have good Bible teaching. Another misconception is to see the Holy Spirit as some sort of spiritual Santa Claus. In some ways, this is the opposite misconception, right? This is where people seek an experience of the Holy Spirit, but not God himself. In some circles, people are so entirely focused on the pursuit of the next experience, the next emotional high, that they've lost sight of God himself, they're continually looking for the supernatural. They're pursuing the weird and the wonderful, but are not interested in what God has already spoken. At its core, this pursuit often focuses on the thought that an experience from the Holy Spirit mustn't be constrained by anything, including doctrine and theology. We want to peg these two positions Against each other, and you have to choose a camp. Which one are you in? But that's not helpful. It's not an either or situation. Both of these are misunderstandings of the Holy Spirit. And one of my favorite authors actually clarifies that we need both of these postures in a way. We need an openness to the Spirit, but also an anchoring in right truths and beliefs. Listen to what Timothy Keller says. He says, We are not called to choose between a Christian life based on truth and doctrine or a life filled with holy, with spiritual power and experience. They go together. I was not being called to leave behind my theology and launch out to look for something more for experience. Rather, I was meant to ask the Holy Spirit to help me experience my theology. Isn't that good? That's the right God-honoring posture. A Christian should be 100% grounded in God's word and truth and 100% at the same time open to the Holy Spirit's power and working in their lives. And so the question on the minds of every Christian in this room this morning should be, okay, if that's true, how do we do that? Because I think there's a, there's a problem here, there is a potential that we could just sit here this morning and think of this as like, you know, a theology class where we just talk about who the Holy Spirit is and what He does and never bring it down to an application level. But we absolutely need to examine these truths in light of who we are and what God's calling us to today. So how do we do that? How do we ground ourselves in God's word and live with an openness to the Holy Spirit? Well, if you've grown up in a Christian environment from a young age, you may have heard the old saying, read your Bible and pray every day. There's even songs about that. Read your Bible and pray every day. Is that a song we grew up with in America? I don't know. I should have checked that with my wife. But that's something that you grow up with. You grow up with this thought of read your Bible and pray every day as these are the habits that we should have. And you know what? There's actually some good truth in that. Like sometimes we're like, oh, that sounds like legalism, but there's some good things in that. If we want to be grounded in God's word, we have to ingest it. We have to feed on it daily. If you want to be grounded in it, you have to know it. And if we want to be open to the Holy Spirit, we need to pray and pray often a prayer of openness. Pray every day, God, I'm open to you. Lead me by your Holy Spirit. That should be a prayer on the lips of every believer that comes out of our lips often. These are not things that we should do begrudgingly or occasionally. It's a gift that we can read. It's a gift that we can pray. But the piece that for me feels like it's missing here as we ask about being led by the Holy Spirit is this. We need to, as well as, yes, reading and praying, listen and look for the Holy Spirit's leading. If you read through the book of Acts, you see this pattern. You read about Philip and how he he heard God lead him and prompt him to go and meet with an Ethiopian man. And he shared the gospel, he was forever changed. If you read on, you read about Peter and how the Holy Spirit revealed to him he needed to go and meet with some Gentiles, which he didn't culturally want to do. But again, God brought this huge blessing through it because he was listening and looking for the leading of the Holy Spirit and was willing to obey. If you read on, what you find is there's a guy named Paul and his friend Barnabas, and they're praying together and saying, God, we're open to you. And the Holy Spirit very clearly says to them, set aside Paul and Barnabas and send them out on mission. I want to start a movement of churches through the Roman Empire. And God blesses that because they're listening and looking for the Holy Spirit's leading and willing to obey. So, how does a Christian live by the Spirit? Prayerfully submitted, grounded in God's truth, listening and looking for his leading. If you're a Christian, does that describe you? Does that describe me? And if not, what would need to happen to make that a more accurate description of our lives? Do we need to be in God's word more? Do we need to pray and pray with openness to the Holy Spirit more? Do we need to be listening and looking for the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives? What would happen if that was the true description of every believer What would the church look like? And I don't just mean the church here, I mean the church globally look like. What would the world look like if we were all submitted to the Holy Spirit, listening for His leading, looking for His leading, and obediently stepping out as He calls us? The church and every person in it needs to be submitted to the Holy Spirit because we need His power desperately. I want to read for you one more quote written by a man in 1950. And he speaks specifically to the church at that moment, but I think what he says is on point for the church here 73 years later. Listen to what he says. I think there can be no doubt that the need above all other needs in the church of God at this moment is the power of the Holy Spirit. More education, better organization, finer equipment and more advanced methods are all unavailing. As in they don't work. It is like bringing a better respirator after a patient is dead. Good as these are, they can never give life. We need the Holy Spirit. We need Him to bring life to this congregation and to the church across the world. And I'm asking all of us to play our part in that. I put myself in that as well. Am I prayerfully submitted? Are you prayerfully submitted to God? Are we grounded in God's word and truth? And then are we listening and looking for his leading? Let's be a church that is that sort of church because as we're that sort of church, God can do great things through us. I 100% believe that. Let's pray.